Zuckerman. Thanks for joining. Talks Now is made possible by support from the AACT, the American Academy of Clinical Toxicology. They started behaving like morphine mice, right? They started displaying addicting behaviors. So this stuff was withdrawn. I mean, they didn't do any more work on it. It never went to human trials. And really, it just got filed away. And then it seems to have recently resurfaced as a drug of abuse where it's being made out in clandestine labs um, from the information on this patent and it's being sold as a research chemical. That was Christina Demansky, toxicology fellow out of Dallas, talking about an abandoned research chemical, abandoned that was until uh, fall day when two young people decided to try taking it themselves and ended up in a local emergency department. We're talking about that chemical on today's episode of Talks Now. I was reading Clintox the other day, and I saw this article of yours called Two Cases of Intoxication with a New Synthetic Opioid U47700. Is there a shorter way to put that? There's not a shorter way. It's not 47700? No? Okay. Um, no. Well, some people call it U4. That tends to be the most easy thing that it goes by. That makes sense. It's probably going to start getting called euphoria soon. Yeah, so we were actually made aware of these cases back in March of last year, and we had some calls through the poison center that we had two patients that had recreationally used this substance that we had never heard of. And our poison center contacted us and wanted us to kind of enlighten them as to what this substance was. And the only thing we could actually find at the time was this very old patent that was way back from the 1970s. And it didn't just describe the U47700. It actually described a whole series of new compounds that were designed initially as analgesics. And there was a team at Upjohn that were working on them in the 70s. What they were trying to do was find an analgesic that was as good as morphine, but without the addictive effects. So they came up with this substance that works on the mu receptor, maybe has some activity at the kappa receptor, and they tested it on animals in their initial studies. And what they found, it did have good analgesic effects. It did not um, have that non-addictive property that they were looking for. So they gave it to the animals, and the animals became addicted. They started behaving like morphine mice, right? They started displaying addicting behaviors. So this stuff was... Withdrawn. I mean, they didn't do any more work on it. It never went to human trials, and really, it just got filed away. And then it seems to have recently resurfaced as a drug of abuse, where it's being made out in clandestine labs um, from the information on this patent, and it's being sold as a research chemical. And that brings us to the unhappy story of a young couple that starts as they celebrate their new apartment and ends in a local emergency department. Oh, I know. They were trying to celebrate less than... They just bought an apartment and they thought they were getting something that was synthetic cocaine, which of course is vastly different to what they got because they got an opioid and they were expecting a stimulant. And the gentleman was very uptunded and not breathing very well and he came in by EMS. And the girl seems to have got either slightly less or I'm not sure honestly what happened with her, but she did not have that same opioid toxidrome as he did. Our unlucky gentleman was found unresponsive with a GCS of 3 and pinpoint pupils, satting 50% on room air, and so was immediately intubated in the field. It's interesting. So looking at the case report, it looks like in the field, the man was pretty much hypoxic and intubated, but it says that naloxone was not given 
as the reported substances were alcohol and alprazolam. Were you surprised that they didn't just empirically try it? I was actually surprised because I work in the ER as well, and that happens a lot, right? Everyone gets naloxone prior to coming in. This call was initially put out as a Xanax, a Xanax overdose. So perhaps because they had that information, it was a benzo mixed with alcohol. They didn't think to give the naloxone, or they didn't look for any other opioid signs and just brought him straight in. His respiratory depression continued, and on arrival to the emergency department, he was found to have a pH of 6.97 with a PCO2 greater than 90. But the young woman presented very differently than her friend. Yeah, she was complaining of some anxiety, some chills. Her symptoms were a lot more vague. She never had those pinpoint pupils or the respiratory depression that you would expect with an opioid. Um, He did, but there was a lot on the differential. I think he ended up getting a scan for PA because of the collapse and the low SATs, and that all came back negative. They started him on empiric antibiotics for possible aspiration, and they seemed to come around with just supportive care. And then they admitted to using this stuff, and they were able to say what it was, the name of the chemical. This is something where they, they heard about it and looked into it and then ordered it. Did they say what information sources they were using? I mean, where they arrived at the conclusion that they thought they were getting synthetic cocaine? Well, it was a friend that had given it to them. They had not ordered it themselves. They knew it was something called U47700. They had never had it before, but it was given to them by a friend, and I think he'd given them sort of the name of it and told them it was synthetic cocaine. But very quickly, our young couple realizes that what they have taken is not like cocaine in any way. The lady, interestingly, had a history of heroin abuse remotely, and she described the substance as being cool and relaxing like heroin. So she knew she'd got an opioid when she used it first. She was just able to recognize the sensation from previous experiences, and he was not a daily user of anything. Yeah, well, the story is interesting how she essentially kind of went out for a few hours and then found him unconscious. There's there's, there's the black period in between where I guess luckily he was still breathing. Possibly. Um, I think perhaps she felt a little sleepy, so maybe got more of an effect than she told us initially. And then the other thing that was interesting, too, is, I guess, the tachycardia. We tried to look, explain that or look for a reason for it. I mean, perhaps he wasn't adequately sedated. Perhaps he'd been down for a while. Perhaps he had a little lactate with an acidosis. Um, We had a couple of theories as to why he was tachycardic. In the end, we didn't find one thing that jumped out. But the question becomes, with our young couple, how to prove that they had actually been exposed to this substance. This is when it pays to know your lab and know your forensic toxicologist. Because in this case, especially with novel agents, they are your best friend. How did you go about testing for it? Well, first of all, we had to get the urine samples. And we worked very closely with Gulfstream Laboratories, which is here in Dallas. And they were able to get the substance U47700 and create a test for it. And they ran the urine through there. They managed to isolate the U47700 and the samples. They also um, analyzed the urine for a lot of other drugs of abuse to see if there's any other opioid in there. And from what we found, there wasn't. And do you know any more information in terms of follow-up for them, like they were discharged in well condition? or They were both discharged in great condition. The lady was never intubated, never deteriorated. He came in, obviously intubated, and had supportive care and got better. Um, he was neurologically intact by the time he went home. He wasn't complaining of any symptoms. We did try to follow up with them after discharge uh, by a phone, but we weren't able to get hold of them again. 
there's some other case reports out there about this substance in terms of forensics finding it and people that have died and then some other case reports. Have you seen some of those? Yes. We found a few forensic articles before ours came out. And I think ours may have been the first in a clinical journal. Um, so that was interesting. But apart from that, there was tumbleweed when we looked for information about it. The only stuff we could find was on Internet forums where people are discussing using it. And a couple of these old 70s patents described the compounds and some of the early work, which was all sort of biochemistry and nothing clinical. It's interesting that we're getting a few more cases cropping up. And I think there were some in Europe as well. Structurally, did you find it similar to anything? It's very different to morphine. The only thing it is similar to is AH7921, and that's from Allen & Hanbridge, which is a British pharmaceutical company that were working on a very similar deal to the Upjohn people. They were also trying to create novel analgesics with non-addicting properties, and it's about the same time period, the 1970s. Oh, it's very interesting, yeah. These research chemicals, I mean, it reminds me a lot of the JW compounds where, where um, research that has been done for other reasons is sort of being misappropriated for, for recreational use. Yeah, we've got the synthetic cannabinoids that started off for the same reason, research, um, and then there's some benzo analogs that are out there as well. It's interesting, uh, you know, in this article that, of course, they didn't trip the standard opiate screen. Do you think this is something that uh, providers have on their radar, or do you think it's something they're aware of? I think people are starting to become more aware of it, but it's synthetic compounds in general. I mean, fentanyl is cropping up, I think, more often than the U47700, and that also won't trip standard opiate screen positive. So I'm going to pause for a moment to emphasize that very important point. While the purpose of this podcast is to talk about U4, it's really important as a take-home point to realize that the urine drug screen is limited, and that if you're trying to find a novel agent, especially some of these synthetic agents, you can't rely on it to rule out an exposure. And certainly, if you do get a positive for a substance that doesn't seem to fit with the clinical picture, if somebody's positive for cocaine, but they have pinpoint pupils and they're apneic, Maybe that's because they used a few days ago. We know from time and time again from the fentanyl adulterations that have been occurring in multiple parts of the country that clinician reliance on drug screens leads to a delay in diagnosis, especially for potentially fatal new drugs. And so it's important for all of us to keep the radar up and to uh, use our, our clinical exam skills to know when we're seeing something different. That's one of the important take-home points from this podcast. I think we are going to become more and more aware of it. It's going to be a bigger problem. We're already finding the C47700 in medication or pills that are sold as street oxycodone. And they have the imprint on them. They look exactly like oxy. But when they're seized and analyzed, we found U47700 in them. Oh, yeah. I mean, at least these people knew they were using a sort of research chemical, and they described a powder that they used. Um, online is also available as a liquid, but if it's been pressed into a pill form, you really have no idea what you're getting or no idea what it's called. I was looking. It looks like previously, of course, because it's a novel synthetic, it was sort of in that limbo area. I think uh, back in September, the DEA did an emergency scheduling of it. Have you heard about that? Yeah, it's on Schedule 1, and I think it's because of the structure of similarity to A87921, and that's what managed to get it in. Although it seems like in this case, I mean, the friend that gave it to them probably got it, I would assume, online. Oh, yeah. It's extremely easy to get online. You don't really need to be very computer literate. You can just type in buy U47700 on Google, and you'll get multiple sites that are online vendors. Most of them shipped to the U.S. Some will ship to Europe. Usually it's sold as a powder, and 
as with a lot of these things, the more you buy, the more of a discount you get. So bulk is cheaper. Um, you can also find it as a liquid. And in case you think these are the only two people trying out uh, new research chemicals and coming into the emergency department, we've got another story for you. Really, that these aren't the only two cases. We've seen more of them. We had a separate case at a different hospital in the area where a gentleman came in in cardiac arrest, having used both this U47700 along with atizolam, which is a benzodiazepine analog that's not FDA approved, so not a proper drug that we're using here. And he had a very poor outcome. And his reason for use of both of those was they were not standard opioid, not a standard benzo, and it was purely to evade a urine drug screen. So the knowledge is out there. And even people who don't go out to intend to use these research chemicals and think they're buying, you know, street oxycodone, street hydrocodone, maybe getting something that they're not aware of. And an important question for the clinician who sees someone who might be suffering from the effects of U4 is what to do. Just like any opiate, treat the class not the specific drug, and that's going to require naloxone. We asked Dr. Demansky about uh, naloxone in this case. And I'm not sure how much naloxone is going to be needed to reverse it. I know with some of the synthetics, like for example, fentanyl, you're needing to give more naloxone than you would with heroin. And we just don't have enough cases of the C47700 to really hazard a guess on that. Well, I guess I guess we're about to find out. And I should add that there are case reports of U4 being reversed with typical doses of naloxone from 0.4 milligrams to 2 milligrams IV. But more information is needed. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to be on the show. I look forward to kind of going over this and putting it out there. And I really hope that the story of this young couple and their notable apartment celebration raises some flags and lets people know what to look for. Yeah, the more information we get out there, the better. And if it's getting to healthcare providers who are going to be on the front line when dealing with it, then I think that's a good thing. Well, that about wraps it up. So the take-home points for you are just be aware that this drug is out there, this novel uh, opioid-like compound, U47700. Be aware that it's not going to trip your typical drug screens. And at the end of the day, when in doubt, if you see someone who looks like they have an opioid toxidrome, give them a trial of naloxone. And then one final point is do a favor to everyone involved, your local public health department, and uh, certainly your local community, your patients. If you see a novel drug of abuse, if you think there's something new out there, talk to your patients and uh, talk to your lab about figuring out how to test for this and confirm it. Whenever we get novel drugs of abuse, we get a variety of reports that range from solid and valid to kind of ludicrous. And having that testing confirmation can really help us understand what's out there, uh, its potency, its side effects, and uh, what do we need to do to reverse it. So talk to your lab professionals. That's another episode of Talks Now. I'm Matt Zuckerman from the University of Colorado. We'll be sure to have show notes and a link to that article at our website, talksnow.org, or you can tweet at us at TalksNow. I want to thank Dr. Demansky for taking the time to come on the show, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. This is Matt Zuckerman signing off. Talks Now is produced by Matt Zuckerman with support from the American Academy of Clinical Toxicology. You can reach out to us by emailing us at TalksNow at TalksNow.org. That's T-O-X-N-O-W. Or via our Facebook page or tweet us at TalksNow.org.